and welcome to my podcast. I'm Connie. I'm a certified nutritionist and personal trainer, and I live on a small hobby farm. I have a huge passion for bodybuilding, but I don't fall into the typical bodybuilding mold. The naysayers, they can have their bro science. Yep, I said it. I'm a natural health and nutrition nerd. Some would call me a granola, but that couldn't be further from the wrong word. I stay away from the typical processed, standard American diet, and I don't eat granola. I created this podcast to share my health journey and the many things I've learned in my quest to find what it takes to live a mindful, happy, balanced life for all humans, not just athletes. I hope to help you discover your inner nerd and help you make some hefty deposits into your knowledge bank account that can help you crack your health code. And we start that from a very young age where we, we gravitate towards some substance to numb ourselves, distract ourselves. And that's what people really struggle with on the mental and emotional side is some type of pain, trauma, challenge that they haven't really released that, uh, released yet. And until they do, and, and they become more self-aware of what that issue is and how to let it go, then it, you know, it might be food one day or it might be alcohol one day or it might be another substance there's always going to be these distractions because we live in a, a, a high stimulus world where there's all kinds of things to distract ourselves, whether it's video games, whether it's TV, whether it's our phones, social media, uh, you know, all these substances that I mentioned, you name it. <clears throat> that's what people struggle with. And these are the lessons that I started to learn as I went throughout this journey. I'm like, oh my gosh, I was so wrong. Like I was so wrong when, when I tried to help people like, Hey, just eat this food and exercise like this. And you know, it's so easy, like just do it and it'll save your life. And yes, in principle, it's in theory, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy to apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode. That little clip you heard right there is Drew Manning. He is also known as the fit to fat to fit guy. And I'm so excited to have him on the podcast today because he went above and beyond in order to help his own clients. And he gained 75 pounds and then had to go through losing it. And he learned a lot in that journey. And he's going to share all of that with us today. I'm so very excited. Before we get going, though, I do need you to hit the pause button, hop on over, leave me some reviews, written ones are even better, good or bad. I really want to know how you feel about this podcast, what you found is valuable, how that helped you in your own health journey. All of these things help me so much. It also helps other listeners find this podcast because without those written reviews, I I'm basically invisible and I want to be able to share all of this knowledge that I bring to this podcast with other people. So please leave me a review. It is so report important. I cannot stress enough how important it is. So I'm so excited to have Drew on the show. Thank you so much for leaving a great review. And here is Drew Manning. Good morning, Drew. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, Connie, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. I am pretty excited to have you on here today. Um, you and I have a lot of the same commonalities of things that we like um, as far as diet, fitness, all these fun things. And so I'm excited to have you on here, bounce some things off of you, have you share your story with my audience because uh, it's a good one. And <laughs> I really, you know, I'm appreciative of the fact that you went the places you did 
uh, which we're going to get to that story here pretty quick, in order to find understanding and common ground with people, which is a really amazing thing coming from another trainer. So anyhow, before we get too crazy, how about we just kick it off with who you are and what you're all about? Yeah. So my name is Drew Manning, obviously. And what's funny is most people call me, I was just at an event last night and someone said, Hey, are you the fit, fit, fit guy? So I'm so used to that now, but like people don't really know my name. It's Drew Manning, but um, yeah, fit to fit to fit is what most people know me from. It's something I did back in 2011, which is crazy. It's been that long, but the idea I had back then, and this is coming from, you know, back in the day I was a personal trainer and I, at the time had never been overweight. And so my whole life, I was in shape. I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters. We all played sports, football and wrestling were the sports I, I played from a very young age. So for me, you know, I was naturally fit. I was naturally active. And, it, you know, being in shape was something that came pretty easy for me because it was something I'd done my entire life. And so I became a personal trainer in 2009 and started training clients. And instantly there's a disconnect. I'm like, they would tell me excuses of why they couldn't just do the workouts I gave them and the meal plans that I gave them. They kept messing up and they kept eating the junk food that I told them not to. And they would skip workouts because they were sore and tired. And I'm like, you guys, why is it so hard for you just to do what I'm telling you to do? Like in my mind, it's so easy. Like you just do it, right? It's not that difficult. But for them, they would tell me, you know, Drew, you don't understand how hard it is. Like I'm trying really hard, but it's, it's so hard for me. I couldn't understand why it was so hard for them. And, and uh, one of my clients who was a, a brother-in-law at the time said, dude, you don't understand how hard it is for, for people like me. Like for you, it's always been easy. And for me, it's just, it's just really hard and it's always going to be hard. And I'm like, man. So I kind of took that to heart. I'm like, maybe there's something I need to learn as a trainer to gain a better understanding of what it's like to be overweight. And for me, this idea popped up in my head. Like, what if, <laughs> what if you got fat on purpose and and what if they give you better understanding? And so for, for some reason, that made sense in my mind. And I decided to embark on this journey where for six months, I would stop exercising. I would eat an unrestricted diet to put on as much weight as I could. And then the next six months, I would put my money where my mouth is and walk the walk and show people how to lose the weight. And so that's kind of my idea. That was my idea in a nutshell. I ended up gaining 75 pounds in those six months. It was one of the most humbling hardest things I've ever done in my life because it, it was so much more of a mental and emotional journey for me. And that's where I learned the most valuable lessons was on the mental and emotional side. And at the end of the day, I just realized how wrong I was in my approach to helping people with, with weight loss and transformation. Cause in my mind, it was so simple. You just eat less, you work out and it's not that hard <laughs> until I went through it myself and was truly humbled. And so I learned a lot of valuable lessons along the way. And that's kind of me in a nutshell. We'll start there. <laughs> That's totally awesome. And, you know, talk about dedication, gain, <laughs> gain a whole bunch of weight and have to lose it and go through that work. Uh, there's so many questions I have as far as this goes. Uh, I mean, first of all, was it hard for you to eat enough to gain that amount of weight in the first place? Or once you started getting addicted to some of the foods that you probably didn't eat before, or was it easier just mm -hmm. to continue on that path? That's a good question. A lot of people think when I first started, they're like, you're probably not even going to be able to get fat. Like your genetics are what are keeping you in shape and your body just won't probably even allow you to get fat. And obviously proved all those people wrong. Even myself, I was like, maybe I'll gain 50 or 60 pounds, but I ended up gaining 75. So it was surprising to me, even how much weight I gained. Um, it wasn't hard in the beginning. Actually, the first month was actually really fun. Like being able to go to the grocery store, skip the produce section and just go down the cereal aisle, cookie aisle, chips. Like we have so much abundance uh, and so many options here in America. It's like, why do we need hundreds of flavors of cereal 
I don't know why, but it's amazing. And it tastes really good. Like in, in the beginning, it was kind of fun, like a kid in a candy store type of feeling. And it was this false sense of freedom where I, like we think freedom is being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want and eat whatever you want. Right. But very quickly, about a month, a month and a half, things started to change. I did not start. I did not feel well. I started snoring at night. My energy levels were dipping, uh, uh, you know, I was breathing heavy, walking up the stairs. And then that sense of freedom started to go away because you're free to choose what you want. But you're not free from the, uh, to choose or you're not free from those consequences <laughs> that come from those choices. So it's freedom in a sense, but it's also a trap because now those consequences of those choices you made, which you think are freedom end up trapping you. And then you're not free because your health is starting to decline. And so for me, uh, in the beginning, it was easy to eat those foods, but then the next five months is where the real mental and emotional struggle came in. Um, and that's, that's, like I said, that's where I gain, uh, or learned the most valuable lessons. Okay. So you totally stopped working out too for this six month period, correct? Yes. Okay. So you can't really, you can't really give us any biofeedback on how <laughs> your body felt as far as you eating these foods and doing a workout. Cause you pulled that yeah. <clears throat> away as well. So with that being said, when did you really start noticing a difference on how the foods were affecting you physically? Sorry about that. <laughs> You're fine. Dogs are barking. Um, yeah. How long before I, I felt the foods affecting me physically? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, uh, it was about, like I said, a month, month and a half where I really felt it. Now I did have digestive issues from the beginning. Like my first meal was a dozen donuts. And so, or I tried to eat a dozen donuts and obviously after each of those feedings where I would eat these crazy amounts of food, I, I definitely struggled for the next few hours, but uh, it, it didn't take a, a real toll until like a month and a half in where, like I said, I snored at night, uh, which affected my sleep, which affected my mood and my energy levels throughout the day, which affects your hormones and affects your personality. So I would say after that first month, month and a half is where things started to get really hard physically, mentally, emotionally, because it started to, it started to change everything about me, everything. If you go and, and get my book, Fit to Fed to Fit, you go to chapter four, I was married at the time. My wife, she has a chapter in there of what she went through and what she, what her perspective was as we were going through this, through this journey. You know, this takes some serious dedication. I can tell you that already <laughs> because, yeah. you know, when you're into fitness and you're, you're really into eating and all these things, I'm sure there was that aspect where you were super excited to start um, eating all these things that you wanted and then backing off on your workouts. And you're probably like, Hey, I can go do this instead or whatever. And then all of a sudden, probably that mental struggle. I know for me comes in where you're like, dang, I just want to go to the gym right now. I want to like do something or eat some veggies or whatever it is. Yeah. That's, that's what was the interesting part was for me. It was before, you know, exercise was a, was an outlet for me. That was my stress reliever. That was my therapy. Take that away. And now I had to cope with not having that. And so what, what was my substitute? It was food. And this is what happens to so many people. They fall into this trap where food becomes their comfort, becomes their therapy in a sense, because it does bring a temporary relief of, you know, uh, a relief of, you know, pain or, or whatever you're feeling. And so it does kind of relieve that for, you know, temporarily. But what it does is it traps you because it creates this vicious cycle where it does help you temporarily, but then you feel so miserable afterwards that you need more food to then feel good again. So what happens is your blood sugar spikes, right? And you feel really good from that. You feel like, you know, boost of energy, you feel good. You just ate, a, you know, cinnamon toast crunch or, or drink some Mountain Dew. You get this huge spike in blood sugar levels and you get a huge crash afterwards. And then when that crash happens and you don't, and you don't have anything to replace it with, like if, 
if I would go without food for a couple hours, I would be miserable, like absolutely just feeling so sluggish, just down, depressed, and then you eat more food, and then guess what? You feel good again. And so it creates this vicious cycle where food became my therapy in a sense and replaced exercise, and that's where it gets dangerous for some people where they have to find something else that's healthier for them as a distraction because food is just this vicious cycle, and it's hard to get out of that. And that's what I realized, and that's why I was able to connect with my clients so much better going through this experiment because – that's where I could finally say, see, you know, when my clients would tell me these things, I'm like, ah, I get it now. The emotional connection to food is way more powerful than I ever imagined. It's not just about like, okay, having the willpower to put down the soda, put down the junk food. Some of that has the willpower and the discipline that's been doing it for years or decades. It's so simple for them to say, look, it's so simple for me. It can be simple for you too if you just do it. But it's like going up to a drug addict and saying, hey, it's not that hard. Just stop doing drugs. Like put down the drugs. Your life will be better, and why, why do you keep doing this to yourself, right? We know that drug addiction is real. Food addiction, we sweep under the rug because food addiction is different, in my opinion. Food addiction is one of those things where, you know, first of all, food is legal, and we need it every single day. Like, we, we need it to eat it, right? It's in our face, marketed to us, and we see people eat it that don't get addicted to that food. <laughs> so we see all these people eat these delicious foods, and they are not addicts, but some people are. And for them, they know they can't have that. And so it's different for food addicts. I feel like the world judges them differently than, than other addicts of other substances. But it does the same thing. It's the same mechanism in the body where food, drugs, alcohol, whatever the substance is, is a distraction to numb the pain that we're, that we're hiding, that we're, we've suffered. And at some point, food is, it numbs that pain or alcohol numbs that pain or porn addiction or whatever the addiction you want to put out there, addiction is a cover-up for some type of pain that we haven't dealt with yet. And we start that from a very young age where we, we gravitate towards some substance to numb ourselves, distract ourselves. And that's what people really struggle with on the mental and emotional side is some type of pain, trauma, challenge that they haven't really released, that, uh, released yet. And until they do, and, and they become more self-aware of what that issue is and how to let it go, then it, you know, it might be food one day or it might be alcohol one day or it might be another substance. There's always going to be these distractions because we live in a, a high-stimulus world where there's all kinds of things to distract ourselves, whether it's video games, whether it's TV, whether it's our phones, social media, uh, you know, all these substances that I mentioned, you name it. <clears throat> that's what people struggle with. And these are the lessons that I started to learn as I went throughout this journey. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was so wrong. Like I was so wrong when, when I tried to help people like, Hey, just eat this food and exercise like this. And you know, it's so easy, like just do it and it'll save your life. And yes, in principle, it's in theory, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy to apply. Right. Sorry. Right. That was a long rant. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I really love it. And, and when you say that, I, I, I understand it from all aspects, right? Like, <clears throat> I mean, we can even, that can even manifest itself in fitness. I mean, yeah, with exercise, people with exercise addiction, people that are covering up old, a wound that they may not even know they're covering up yep. via fitness. I know I personally found myself in that spiral a while back and it was like, you know, fortunately I, I had an event that kind of woke me up from it, but I, I understand how that could be something. And I see other people doing it too. And I, I always try to talk about that too, because we have addictions in many manners. And I've watched some people that have addictions that turn around and roll it into say a, a physique addiction with themselves. And then they just go down equally um, unhealthy journey 
you know, pathways that way. So um, anyway, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that you touched on that. And I understand fully. I mean, I rode my bike to work the other day, like 25 miles, didn't have coffee before I, <laughs> before I did. And when I got to work, I forgot my debit card and I couldn't have coffee. And all day I was like, I just want to have some coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and I kept thinking about it and I don't know why, because it's stupid. It's just coffee, but you know, I'm addicted yeah. to it. So yeah, it, there's there's all kinds of addictions. <laughs> yeah. Um, so can you kind of tell my listeners a little bit about what your diet looked like prior sure. to going on this journey of gaining weight and eating whatever you want? Okay. Oh, so, so back in 2011, I was more of a paleo-ish type of person, high protein, moderate amount of carb, you know, minimal fat, like lean meats, you know, uh, then eat a ton of fat, uh, maybe some guac every once in a while or avocado, but it was, it was pretty clean, to be honest with you, but it was six or seven small meals per day throughout the day, every single day, high protein in every single meal, um, a lot of lean meats, and that's kind of, you know, it worked for me. And it, as far as my physique goes and, and maintaining, you know, a good amount of lean muscle mass and being strong and being fit and being healthy. And then obviously I ate, you know, things like white bread, white pasta, juices, granola bars, chips, cookies, crackers, uh, you know, sugary cereals like Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Hot Pockets. Uh, you know, lots of soda. Um, let's see what else. Uh, SpaghettiOs, mac and cheese, top ramen, those types of foods, right? Yeah. <laughs> Throughout my journey of gaining weight. And then, and then on the way back, it was a similar approach where it was more of a paleo-ish approach, five small meals per day. And that's what I, I taught people because that was like the, the mail was mainstream back then. Keto wasn't really around uh, or well known at, in 2011, 2012. And so that's kind of what my history of, of nutrition looked like you know, back in the day from before fit to fit, fit during fit to fit, fit, and then losing it back to fit, you know, that was kind of my approach. So as you gained this weight, how did your feelings about yourself become? Mm. Like, I'm sure there had to be this point where you started to be like, oh, my stuff doesn't fit. <laughs> oh, I don't, you know, how about your peers around you? How did they feel about it? I mean, I'm sure some of your close friends knew you were maybe running an experiment, but people that didn't, I mean, how did you feel about that? So that was, that's a really interesting question. And this is kind of what I was talking about where it started affecting me on the mental and emotional side. So here's the thing. When you grow up your entire life in shape, like I did, you identify your, your self-image as your body image. So your body is you, right? So like I was Drew the fit guy. That was my identity my whole life because that's all I've ever been. And so people who, same thing, if they grow up overweight, they attach their self-image with their body image, thinking I am so-and-so the overweight person, right? And that just kind of becomes their identity. So what happened for me was when I went out and gained the weight, I totally freaked out. And I had this loss of identity crisis because it, I wanted to go up to strangers in public and say, hey, I'm not really overweight. This is just an experiment. Here's my before picture. Like, go to this website. It'll explain everything because this isn't me. I was so uncomfortable, so self-conscious that I cared so much about what other people thought of me. Like, I wanted to explain to people what I was doing so they wouldn't judge me because I felt judged in certain social situations. And I was so uncomfortable in those situations where I just I felt like I had to explain to people like, I'm not really overweight. And so uh, there were times where, you know, a lot of people knew what I was doing, but there was other people sometimes where like they didn't know about it. And they would, they told me later, they talked behind my back, like, what is going on with Drew? Is he going through a divorce, a midlife crisis? Like, and, and they would tell me it because I, because I was working in the medical field this time. And there, I remember some doctors and nurses that kind of knew me that would see me come in and they'd be like, 
is that the same guy? <laughs> like that can't be like, <laughs> and so they were really shocked. But when I explained to them what I was doing, they're like, Oh my gosh. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Cause I had no idea. Like I saw you and it was crazy. But like the other part was going out in public, like I said, was really, really hard for me because of my identity. My identity was based on, on being Drew the fit guy. And um, you know, there was a, a couple moments, one, one moment that I really remember very clearly where I was at the grocery store, I had my shopping cart full of all this junk food. Right. And behind me in line, checking out were these three women. And I could just feel the judgment and the stares of them looking at my big belly and all this junk food, like like excessive amounts. It wasn't like a couple granola bars. It was like cereal, soda, chips, granola bars, like all these unhealthy foods that I was eating. And I just, I wanted to say something so bad to them. Like, hey ladies, I normally eat spinach and kale and broccoli. And like, I'm normally a healthy fit guy, but like what's happening is this experiment I'm doing. But in that moment, that time, I didn't say anything. I didn't talk to them. I just kind of let that feeling of judgment sink in. Whether they were judging me or not, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if they were. But in my mind, you know, I felt judged. And this is what hit me in that moment where it clicked for me. This is what my clients have to go through on a daily basis. Where someone sees them, is looking at them, and maybe that client feels judged in that moment because they know, they know what that person's thinking they, or they think they know what that person's thinking. And it's hard. And for me, I only got experience a small percentage of what someone who's overweight like, goes through. But it really um, hit home for me. It was really powerful because I didn't say anything. I just let it sink in. I'm like, man, it helped me develop empathy for those that struggle, for those that are judged and, and looked at as, you know, and labeled as lazy or less than because of their weight. And, and so many people are so harsh in our society because we put so much value on our outward appearance. We put so much value on being skinny and being fit. And if you're not, there's something wrong with you or you're lazy or, you know, you're looked down upon in, in society and it's unfair and it's, it's a lot of misunderstanding. And so it really helped me to develop empathy for those that struggle with transformation and weight loss, because I, I get it. I have so much of a better understanding now, uh, having done this, this experiment. Okay. I love so many things that you said right there. Hopefully I don't lose my train of thought because sure, no as, as you were speaking, I was adding cars to that train because <laughs> I was like, wow, uh, I side with you on so many levels in this because I um, personally was pretty overweight my whole life. I've always lifted, but I always thought, you know, if you lift weights, then you're going to, you're going to lose weight and look like a beach bob a beach body babe or something like that you know or a baywatch babe and uh yeah. yet i would work out constantly and i never trimmed up i never looked the way i thought i should look i was not yeah. one of those girls in high school that was like all pretty and whatnot you know i was strong but uh, yeah. uh and then i got out of lifting uh but and then that's when I started, I mean, my husband and I raced motocross for a really long time. And so we were always in really good shape. We we're active, but I was always overweight. Uh, yeah. and so when I finally did get a handle on my weight situation and started to get really jacked, uh, I almost had this extreme fear of ever going back to that place. And I still do. And I, and I, and I totally understand where you're at because then all of a sudden my identity became, oh, there's Connie she was once really big and now she's a bodybuilding athlete and shredded and amazing. And everybody's like enamored with the fact that she was able to do that to herself and wants to know her secrets and all these things. And yeah. then I get done bodybuilding and I had a, a pretty bad health crisis um, because I push it way too hard with that. Yeah. And uh, at that point I started to gain a lot of weight really mm -hmm. fast, which I'm already yeah. 
prone to, right? So all of a sudden the identity crisis was insane. It was like, I totally understand where you're talking about when you talk about wanting to make excuses for yourself because I wanted to be like, oh, well, I normally look like this. Here's a picture, you know, yeah. and show people those things and make all these excuses for why I look the way I do. And it took me a lot to kind of put myself in this mental place of, well, hey, you are healing, you're recovering, you've got a lot of things on your plate. Not everybody needs to know about this. You just need to keep doing you and heal you and stop worrying about everybody else. And that was a really hard thing to, to grasp. And, you know, after a, uh, about a year and a half, I'm, I'm still coming to those terms. I was just thinking yesterday on my bicycle, I was like, man, I've made it a long way in the last year mentally about yeah. how my identity was and, and why I needed to back my identity with the fact that I was a, an elite athlete and I was jacked all the time and now I'm not. And I may never look that way again and it's fine. It's good. Yeah. It's beautiful to hear your story and to see the evolve, like how you've evolved with your self-awareness and learning to let go of that. I think that's what so many people need to learn how to do over time is, you know, it's not going to happen overnight where you just all of a sudden, Hey, you know what? I'm going to stop caring what other people think. Like I wish it would happen that simple, but as you build your self-awareness, you realize that, that you are more than your body, that your body is temporary. Your body can change. It can morph. You can have a baby. You can gain weight and lose weight like I have. You can be a bodybuilder. You can be an endurance athlete. Like Your body can do these amazing things. The problem is that at some point in time, we've bought into this myth that we are only valued if we look a certain way because probably based off experience, someone was mean to you or picked on you because of the way you looked and the way your body was. And like society has defined you by your body. And at some point you've bought into that myth and that lie thinking, okay, well, once I get skinny, once I get fit, then everyone's going to love me and then all my problems will go away and then, then I'll love myself, right? And then other people will love me. But I promise you that if you wait until that day, it's not what it's cracked out to be. It's not – if that were the, 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 the truth, everyone that has a six-pack, that has a perfect body you know, from society standards, they would be happy. They wouldn't be miserable. They would, st- you know, they would love themselves. And a lot of people we both know in this industry – it's not true. They still pick themselves apart. They still hate themselves because it has to change from within. Your view of your body has to, you have to develop that, that better relationship with your body from within and learn to be happy where you are now and realize that your body is temporary. You can change it up however you want to, if you really want to be dedicated to that. But, um, you know, it's, it's a journey of learning how to build that self-awareness to let go of that attachment to your body image as your self-image. And so I think that's the biggest key for anyone that's on a fitness journey is asking yourself, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to lose weight, get fit? And what I've learned over the years and what I try and teach my clients is if you could get people to shift their perception of what success looks like in the health and fitness industry and help them fall in love with the process of treating your body kindly, treating your body with love, which means healthy, real food, eating healthy, real food that makes you feel good, makes your body feel good, and then moving your body in a way that feels good to you. That, like whether that's strong, whether that's dancing, whether that's yoga and flexibility or strength, whatever you want it to be, find that for you. And then what happens when you fall in love with the process, you, you see that those, those results take care of themselves over time. Instead, you're so focused on results that you'll put up with the process for a certain period of time until it gets too hard. And you're like, man, I'm doing so much effort to in the process, but I'm not seeing the results. So therefore, it's not worth it. Why even try? Why even like exercise and eat healthy? Because I feel miserable. I'm starving all the time. I'm like sore all the time. And I see like, you know, one pound loss on the, the scale. That's not worth it. Right. And so that's what I'm saying is like, ask yourself, why do you want this? And if you could flip your perception 
and just do the process because you're worth it because you love yourself enough to do the process and don't care so much about the results. Let the results take care of themselves over time. I promise you, if, if you could do that, if you could do that, that shift in mindset, you'll be so much happier with who you are. You'll be more grateful for where you're at now, even though it's not perfect, even though you don't have the perfect Instagram model body, I promise you, you'll be so much happier with who you are on the inside as you work on the better version of yourself, you know, on the outside by, by treating yourself kinder and, and nicer by feeding your body real food and exercising. So that's kind of my two cents when it comes to helping people shift their perception. And the problem is our society is so addicted to the diet mentality of like, what's the best diet out there, the quickest way to lose the most amount of weight and the shortest amount of time with the least amount of effort. Like what, what can I do that's the least effort <laughs> to get the body I want? Like I get that, but shift your perception. Just treat your body, uh, operate at a place of self-love versus self-hate and see how that goes for you. Cause you've been doing the opposite your whole life. Why not try something different? You know? Absolutely. And it's really become, I feel like it's even blown up further with the social media stuff. There's so many great things about social media, but there's also so many dark things about it. And um, I feel like you are not making progress is, is, is what it's made out to be in the fitness industry, right? You're not making progress if you're not losing weight. And so everything yeah. just comes down to that scale, which is so unfortunate because when you have people that are actually making progress, yet that scale's not changing, they feel like a failure when that's not the case. There's so many other things to base your success off of besides the scale. 100%. I think the scale is a huge trap and it's such a weird thing that we have. If you think about it from an outside perspective, it's your relationship with gravity. Like you, <laughs> yeah, that's what the scale measures is your relationship with gravity at that moment in time. And if you met, if you measured uh, an hour later, two hours later, it's not going to be the same. It's always fluctuating. And so to place so much value and importance on your relationship with gravity honestly makes no sense. In my opinion, there's so many other ways to show progress. And, and some of those are taking measurements, right? So measuring tape, how your clothes fit, how you look in the mirror naked, um, how you feel, uh, getting your blood work done, getting your body fat tested. These types of things are way more important, way more telling of if you're actually making progress because the scale fluctuates so much throughout the day. You know, a lot of it is due to water retention or water loss, the weight gain, weight loss. And you don't know the, the goal really isn't weight loss. It's fat loss. You don't want it, weight loss, if you end up you know, losing lean body mass, you want to lose fat mass and hold on to that lean mass to keep your metabolism up. And that's what will make you look better naked. So you just have to shift people's perception of what success looks like. And it's not on the scale, I promise you. Absolutely. So yeah. back to your journey, you gain mm -hmm. this, as you're gaining this weight, how, like, I have a question, how was your sleep? Like you said, mm -hmm. you started to snore. Did you feel like tired all day? Like from not sleeping well like how did this work yeah that's a good question i i wish i had uh, i have a whoop app now or a whoop strap that i use to monitor my sleep i didn't have this back in the day it would be cool to kind of measure it um to see how it affected my sleep really but i just know from you know my wife at the time was like yeah you snored a lot <laughs> and i know that waking up exhausted every day affected my sleep so i know i know for sure my sleep was not as efficient as it normally is Gotcha. I was just curious because I know food can um, substantially affect people's sleep. Sure. And so I was just curious what your, your feedback was on that. So you gain the weight. Uh, it's six months is up and it's time to start trimming back down again. How was that getting back into the game? Yeah. So this was the other really important lesson that I learned. And that was the emotion, the, the po how powerful the emotional connection to food really is. So I, I did cold Turkey where I went one day 
having all that junk food that I mentioned. And then the next day, 2000 calories of real whole food. And those first two weeks were hell. It was miserable the way I felt um, because my body was so addicted to those highs that it got from those foods. And now all of a sudden there was no more of that, that drug. And it went through these withdrawal symptoms. And man, I was grumpy. I was moody. I had headaches. I was starving all the time. The food didn't taste nearly as good as I remember. And I was like, man, this sucks so bad. Why, why does your body fight against you and make you want to eat those foods again, even though I'm feeding it real nutritious food that it should want? But this is where it clicked for me. Man, this is what my clients have been telling me. And I just didn't listen to them. I didn't, couldn't understand I'm like, dude, just put down the junk food. It's not that hard. Like, just do it and you'll feel better. But I didn't realize how powerful that emotional connection to food and from a biological perspective too, your body craves these foods because they're in a sense like drugs where you get these highs from them. And now I wasn't feeding my body that anymore. And it was miserable for the first two weeks. And I couldn't believe how hard it was. I remember being vocal about it, speaking out about it. And people were like, yes, thank you so much for, for validating my feelings because here I was, a, a personal trainer, admitting how hard it truly was for someone like me to try and make that switch cold turkey. And now I have so much more empathy for those that struggle because I understand that, that emotional connection to food so much better now having done this journey. Because before I'm like, dude, it's not that hard. Just put the junk food down and go to the gym. Like, come on. Like, really? It's not that hard. And now having lived it, even for six months, you know, I'm not going to say like, I, I know exactly what it's like, right? Because it's not exactly the same as someone who's grown up overweight. But I know for me, it was an eye opener, and it really humbled me. And so um, those that first those first two weeks were really, really hard. They were literally hell. And then then your body adjusts. That's the amazing thing is your body eventually will adjust. I promise you, if you can get through those, that first transitionary phase, where it sucks, it's hard. Yes, you don't feel great. But if you just have someone to hold your hand and pull you through it and just realize it's, it's going to get better, it's going to get easier, your body will adjust, it did get better. My cravings became more manageable. I started to feel good again, had more energy. The food started to taste better. I'm like, okay, th this is what happens. Okay, so it's a slow process. It's not like instantaneous like we want it to be. And so that was, um, that was the first phase of my journey back to fit. And then I actually skipped exercise the first 30 days. I wanted to show people the power of nutrition first. And how important that is, because I think some people think, oh, if I just exercise hard enough, I could eat whatever I want. But I want to show people, if you could just be consistent with your nutrition, you'll see way better results from that than you would staying consistent with exercise. And so for me, that was the biggest thing in showing people was the power of nutrition. So I lost, I want to say a little over 20 pounds those first, uh, or around 20 pounds the first 30 days with no exercise. My blood work went back to normal, which was, which was great and amazing that my blood work was back in the green uh, already after 30 days. It shows your body is resilient if you treat it, if you treat it nicely, consistently. And then the next five months, I eventually had to go back to the gym. I did have to go back, and um, and that was humbling as well. Going back as an overweight person for the first time because uh, the judgment kicked in, the self consciousness kicked in. Um, but you know, I was like, you know what, this is going to be a long, slow journey. Like I wanted to have my six pack and my strength back and my endurance back that first day. <laughs> But I was truly humbled, you know, being able to do push-ups and pull-ups and little things that were so simple to me before were so hard and so difficult because I was in a new body now. And um, it really helped me, like I said, build empathy for those that struggle. I'm like, man, I get what, I'm, what you're talking about now because I've, I've been there. And, and luckily, you know, I got back to fit, to make a long story short. Uh, but it was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever been through. And what I compare it to is being on top of this mountain my whole life, all the personal trainers out there, the fitness influencers that have never been overweight, they've never struggled, they're on top of this mountain. And everyone at the bottom is 
is trying to get to the top, right? All my clients, people who are overweight, they want to get to the top too because they want to look like that. And so from the top, as personal trainers, it's so easy for us to yell down at our clients saying, look, it's so simple. Just do this. Like, it's not that hard. Like, keep pushing yourself, right? We're motivating them from the top, telling them it's so easy. (laughs) But then for me, for the first time coming down off that mountain, starting at the bottom, was a whole new perspective looking up. And that journey up was way harder than I ever imagined. And it definitely gave me some insight and, like I said, empathy and a better understanding for those that struggle to make it to the top. I have a better understanding now, and I get why it's so hard for people, especially on the mental and emotional side. It's not as simple as as just, like, eating less and working out. And that's what this whole journey taught me, and that's why I'm grateful I did it and have no regrets. Well, I'm so happy that you decided to do it and that you can – you know, empathize with people that are struggling and also anybody else that's out there by you telling your story and all these things, you're telling people, Hey, I want to learn about this stuff, which is really awesome. I want to backtrack just a minute. You were talking about your blood work. So you did get your blood work done pre and post, um, weight gain. Yeah. How much did your weight gain and the diet you were eating affect your blood work, your your hormones, all of that? Yeah, it affected it quite a bit. I don't have all the numbers memorized anymore. I used to back in the day, but some of the numbers that stick out that I remember, first of all, all my lipids were in the red, obviously, like HDL, LDL, triglycerides, fasting glucose, all that was in the red for sure. Hormones was, I remember my testosterone numbers and my testosterone numbers dropped to the low 200s as a 31 year old male. uh, It was crazy how low it was, you know, um, at my heaviest. And after those first 30 days of, of just switching my diet and exercise, it more than doubled in those first 30 days. So it went up to 450, I think, after, after the first 30 days of just eating healthy again, which was amazing. And um, uh, my blood pressure, I remember getting up to 167 over 113 at the, at the highest that I measured it, which was scary, right? It was, it was definitely hard to, for my doctor to kind of <laughs> see that and not prescribe me some some medicine, of course, which I said, no, I don't want it. Um, but anyways, uh, those are the ones that, that I remember, the numbers that I remember. Right. And, you know, not to get onto a personal note with this, but you probably know where I'm going. Like, I'm sure your libido suffered from that. <laughs> uh, like, and I just think of like the standard American you see walking around these men that need help in order to have libido and do all these things. And then what they're eating and what their body profile looks like. And it makes me think we have a lot of problems with all sorts of things that probably are all linked back to our diet and our health overall. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to show people. And, and like I said, if you go read chapter four of my book, my wife talks about our, our sac- our sex life or lack of sex life <laughs> during this journey. Um, and yeah, libido definitely took a hit for sure. Um, and that's the thing I wanted to show people is like you're, the correlation between unhealthy lifestyle and choices, nutrition, sleep, exercise, and how that affects your sexual health because people think, oh, well, there's, it's just my age and I just need to take this blue pill and everything will be fixed. It's like, no, the underlying condition is inflammation in the body and that is due to certain lifestyle choices. You know, the, the junk food you're eating all the time, the lack of sleep you're getting, all the stimulus you're taking throughout the day, uh, lack of exercise and movement throughout, you know, with your body affects your sexual health as well. And so it's not just as simple as like, oh, just take this blue pill and like, fix everything it's like no if you just fix these things you wouldn't need that at all (laughs) so so anyways that was a another interesting part of the journey yeah and all of these health conditions things they kind of hold hands together right so i when you start to narrow down one then you you help 
fix another in, in a sense. And it's just crazy how much all of these things are totally linked together and how a lot of them can be severely helped with nutrition and exercise. Uh, so yeah, that's awesome. So let's switch gears a little because you stated at one point that you were in uh, more of a paleo style diet, which it sounds like you picked that up coming back out of your uh, weight gain journey to your weight Mm -hmm. loss journey. At what point did you decide that you wanted to start experimenting with the ketogenic diet? That was around five years ago um, where I stumbled upon it after listening to Tim Ferriss interview Dr. Dominic D'Agostino on his podcast. And I learned so much more about the, the scientific research that had been done on the ketogenic diet outside of weight loss and fat loss. Things like brain toxicity, traumatic brain injuries, epilepsy, seizures, uh, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, all, all these other therapeutic applications of the diet. I was so amazed that there's so much research that had been done on a ketogenic diet for those purposes. It def- definitely intrigued me more to, to, to experiment with it. And this is before there were programs or a lot of books about it. And so... It was about five years ago that I stumbled upon it, did my own experiment, fell in love with it. I love the mental clarity I received from it. Um, I wasn't a slave to food anymore. So instead of five or six meals a day, it was one or two meals a day. My brain was sharper. My digestion was better because I wasn't having to digest food all day long. Um, And uh, like I said, the mental clarity was through the roof. I love the way my brain felt on keto. And so that's why I definitely started to research it more and pursue it more. Went on the Dr. Oz show talking about the benefits of it and then wrote my first program. And then from there uh, helped out a lot of people with uh, doing the ketogenic diet. Then I wrote my second book called complete keto. And that's where I've kind of became a huge proponent of the ketogenic diet for all kinds of purposes, you know, weight loss and fat loss. Every diet works for weight loss and fat loss. Like as long as you are in a calorie deficit for sure. But the thing I like about keto as, as a, as one of our tools in our tool belt, is there's a lot of reasons like i said the mental clarity i feel like that is like a game changer for so many people because people come for the weight loss and fat loss because it's a diet you know or at least some people treat it that way but then they stay because of the mental clarity that they receive and like they're not a slave to food anymore they could go all day long you know and fast and it's not a huge deal they're not going to die and and suffer from from being hangry all the time keto makes that a, a little bit easier in my opinion from my experience and so that's kind of why I'm, I'm a huge fan of the keto diet. But like I said, when it comes to weight loss and fat loss, a lot of diets work. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's different modalities people can mm-hmm. use in order to lose weight. And if, if adhered to, they're all going to be successful, right? Uh, I know with myself, I, I was a keto naysayer, not a hundred percent, but because of the way I saw people were using it, I saw people eating keto bagels and keto bars and all this junk and it's still processed crap in my opinion. And so that kind of put a bad taste in my mouth for the keto movement initially. Also just coming from a background of the bodybuilding stuff, they're like, you're going to lose your gains if you go keto like that. And so I kind of had a little bit of that ingrained in myself as well. Um, however, when I started to go through my recent demise, I was looking for anything that I could to try to, in order to get my hormones back in order and kind of regain my health. And I was like, well, after listening to the same thing, um, to Dom Diagostino and a lot of other experts out there on, on the ketogenic diet, I was like, you know, I think I really need this to reset my body, reset my hormones, and I'm going to give it a try. So I implemented it in And I started to find some things that were super interesting. Like you said, the mental clarity, and I'm not, I've never been a, a 
person that's been eating a whole bunch of packaged junk. I've been sure. mostly paleo as mm-hmm. well. And I, I mean, I just was all about that. Um, but I started the ketogenic diet. Mental clarity was a big thing. My digestion and bloating and all that stuff got way, yeah. way better. Cause I was still in the factory thinking of like five meals a day type of thing. Even if it was paleo, my digestion yeah. got way, way better. Uh, no more bloating, no more gas. Gas was yeah. a bad factor <laughs> in my world. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And so basically my digestion got better. And then the one thing I started noticing, I started incorporating some intermittent fasting. I've kind of switched gears with my training. I needed to mentally do that. And so I started doing some uh, distance cycling. And in the process of that, I noticed the longer I was fasted and the more ketosis I was in, I didn't build lactic acid. Mm, yep. And all of a sudden... <laughs> the big winner popped out with, with the ketogenic diet for me because I hate lactic acid. Who loves that? <laughs> exactly. And I noticed my legs can just go forever and they feel great when I'm totally in ketosis. And if I'm fasted and I'm like, whoa, my mind is blown. I started reaching out to other uh, fat adapted endurance athletes. And I was like, whoa. And then I start doing the research on this and I'm like, oh my gosh, glucose is dirty fuel. You have terrible byproducts after you get rid of that. Right. So my brain and my mind was totally expanded at that point to where I was like, okay, this can be used on so many levels. Maybe ketosis and keto is not right for everybody. Maybe, Mm -hmm. but I think everybody should give it a try and at least give their body that opportunity to be metabolically flexible and use two fuel sources. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> I think that's how, how most most humans were, or all humans were designed to be metabolically flexible. And just most of us have never really given ketosis a chance. We never really, unless you fasted on purpose, which most people don't do, or done the ketogenic diet, which a lot of people haven't have haven't have before. So it, it's 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 worth at least exploring to see how your body feels in it. The problem that I, I see is people will do it for a week or so and be like, ah, that's not for me. Like you got to give your body minimum 30 days, I would say upwards of 60 to 90 days of being consistent in a ketogenic state to see if it's right for you. Because your body does need time to adjust. It does need time to adapt and become efficient at using ketones as its primary fuel source instead of glucose. And for some people, like, you know, you got to take maybe uh, not, not a week or two off of training, but you got to lower the intensity in the beginning because uh, people like CrossFitters or people that do glycolytic sports are like, oh, man, I just crash. And I'm like, yes, that's your body adjusting. It's not used to using ketones yet. It's going to take some time. So be patient with yourself as you transition. Um, but anyways, yeah, I think it's definitely worth at least giving a shot. Do your research first. Don't just jump in eating butter, bacon, and cheese all day long and thinking like you're doing keto, right? There's so many things you need to understand about the ketogenic diet, what happens inside the body when you switch over to a high-fat, moderate-protein, low-carb diet. you got to understand what's gonna, you know, what to expect instead of just jumping into it, uh, eating like, you know, low quality keto food that's yes keto but you know if you want to do it for uh, optimal performance you got to do some research first right and i love that you brought up the the amount of macros kind of nutrient there because i think yeah. that that's another pitfall people fall into i know i myself was one of them when i initially tried to do the ketogenic diet i was doing way too much protein and so i wasn't getting into ketosis so it took me a long time to get into ketosis and 
now, like after being there for quite some time, if I do go out and have a carb meal, I notice that I can jump back into ketosis relatively fast. It only takes me a day or two. I'll jump out of that carb meal and go into a fast and then boom, yep. I pop right back into ketosis, which is funny because before my body was like, oh, hell no, I'm not going there. <laughs> yeah. So, and now it's just like, oh, that's where I got to go. Okay, cool. Sounds good. So yeah. it's really, really interesting how that works. And, and so it's nice talking with other people that are super athletic that are doing it and it's working for them. Yeah, exactly. And I've done all different types of applications from CrossFit to just recently running 100 miles uh, you know, in a ketogenic state and using both carbs and, and ketones uh, as a fuel source for certain events, right? It just depends on what I'm doing. But once you learn how to uh, use both sources of, of fuel, um, you, can, you can pretty much do anything in this world, you know, as far as performance goes. So let's talk about that. I'm, I'm personally <laughs> moving into the endurance space. And I was curious, like, for your 100-mile race, obviously, there's a lot of naysayers out there saying that if you are fat adapted, that you're going to have a harder time use, utilizing carbs if you need to for something. Mm -hmm. So for your 100-miler, what did the preparation nutritionally look like as far as getting ready for that and making sure you have enough fuel on board in order to make that happen? Yeah, so training leading up to it, I would stay mostly keto, but I would say it was more of a cyclical ketogenic diet. And on my long run days, right, because usually there's for training for the 100 mile, there's two long run days, I would always train in a fasted state. So my body became very efficient at being fat adapted and using ketones as its main fuel source when there was no food in my system and I had to run for three or four hours, right? Uh, very slow pace. I wasn't going super fast, right? It was for me, it was like a, a nice, easy pace that I could maintain for three or four hours. Um, and that's kind of what I did leading up to the race. Now, uh, on race day and the night before the night before race day, I did add in some healthy carbs, things like potatoes and sweet potatoes, a little bit of rice. Um, and then the day of the race, what I did was I supplemented with exogenous ketones. And then I did take in some glucose throughout the journey because this is what I've learned from people like Zach Bitter, who's the world record holder for the hundred miler, uh, and on a track and on now on a treadmill, which he broke recently, he taught me, you know, using both the glucose, um, and ketones in during the race is, is, is a great way to fuel you, you know, throughout. So every hour or so I would take in and I couldn't take in a lot of glucose or any food at all, to be honest with you, because just the, what I was doing, I felt nauseous if I ate too much. So I could, I maybe ate a thousand, maybe 2000 calories at the most during my 24 hour run. And every hour I'd stop, get some food, and then take a sip of, of uh, ketone esters, mm -hmm. which are very powerful supplements. They're kind of expensive. They're cheaper than what they used to be. I use Ketone Aid, which is a good company that makes a good high-quality ketone ester. And um, I would supplement with that and some glucose, you know, every hour, um, you know, um, and that's what kept my, my performance and my pace uh, sustainable throughout the 24 hours. Like, I didn't slow it down uh, a whole lot. Um, and I was able to complete my hundred miles in 24 hours. That's it in a nutshell. There's more to it. I did a whole podcast on my exact protocol, but that's kind of what I did in a nutshell. And and for me, like I don't, here's the thing I learned from last year, last year doing my hundred miler last year, I brought maybe five different types of foods to fuel me during the hundred miler. And I only accomplished 80 miles in 24 hours. So I didn't finish the hundred miles. Um, but I was still proud of myself for doing 80. But what I learned was man, I got so sick of those foods to where the last five hours I was like, nothing sounds good. I'm not touching any of this food. 
So I stopped eating completely. And I, that's where I felt like I crashed. This year, I just brought all different types of foods just in case. So I'm talking about gummy bears, M&Ms, peanut butter sandwiches, watermelon, bananas, apples, like anything you could think of that was a different texture, different flavors, because I felt like if I, need it, I need something. And if I'm like feeling nauseous or sick and like I'm done with watermelon or I'm done with bananas, like I need something. So like rotating through those different sources of glucose really helped me. Uh, because there were times where I just like, I got so sick of food, but I know I needed something and switching up the texture and the flavors really helped my palate just to be able to get some food down. Cause if I didn't, I felt like I would have, I probably would have crashed again. Yeah. And I'm curious about all this because there's a lot <laughs> of different athletes out there that are fat adapted that have all sorts of different modalities. Now I'm glad you brought up the ketone aid because I recently started implementing that into my training as well. Mm -hmm. And my regular <laughs> friends that are like super sugar burners, they're like, mm -hmm. what? Like, I'm like, you should try this. And they're like, I'm not in ketosis. I don't do keto. I don't need this. And I'm thinking, no, like this is double whammy when you've got yeah. <laughs> glycogen and ketones on board. Like you can really supplement your training with this. Uh, yes. And so I recently started bringing them on board. Um, I haven't told anybody yet, so I guess it's going to come out when this podcast comes out, but <laughs> I'm actually training for a 120 mile endurance bicycle race right now. Nice. And I'm trying to, my decide on how I want to go about my nutrition. Uh, I'm coaching myself for it. I'm pretty good at that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm good at the coaching myself part, but <laughs> I'm pretty good at deciding to do things without, um, outside influence. And, uh, uh, I'm like, okay, so what do I want to do here with my food? Like I'm still making a decision cause I perform the best fasted, but obviously I'm not going to, you know, go eight hours fasted, yeah. uh, burning that kind of calories. So that's For the sure. point where I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to keep it ketogenic and keep the lactic acid down? Am I going to pull in some glucose and have to struggle with that a little bit? Uh, yeah. I can't decide. So, uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, my husband and I are driving back from my long ride today and I was like, maybe I should put bacon in there. <laughs> it's high yeah. in sodium and fat. I mean, yeah. but my brain's like trying to wrap myself around this and go, yeah. how do I want to do this? You know, it's always a crapshoot. Yeah. It's different for each person too. It's very individual. Like what works for Zach Bitter doesn't work for every other person. And like I had another friend, Michael McKnight, who did a hundred mile run with no food in under 19 hours. Like that was amazing. An ultra endurance athlete. He's definitely crazy, but he's amazing. He did it with no food. And so I'm like, okay, that, that worked for him. I don't know if I'll be able to go the whole time. I went the first 20 miles without any food. I'm a hundred miler. Um, and then from there started incorporating food. So what you could do is just train in a fat and fat adapted state where you're fasting, go as long as you can. And then maybe, uh, uh maybe, uh, before race day, like a month before test it out, uh, you know, do something, maybe if you're going to be running for eight hours, maybe do a five, six hour ride or something to kind of see what it feels like, go as long as you can without any food and then bring both glucose and ketones and, and kind of, and kind of see what, you know, how you feel adding in some of those fuels, um, you know, for the last, maybe, maybe three hours or so of the race, like, okay, maybe the first five hours I can get, I can get through, but the last three hours I'm going to need some type of calories, some type of food. So I'll bring in, you know, X, Y, Z foods, and see how my body handles them and, and find that, find that combination that works best for you. That's what mm -hmm. I did at least. And that's why I was like, all right, so on race day, I'm going to add in these foods that I never really eat obviously, but like, I, I was like I, for performance, I need to get through this race. And so I'm, I'm going to have everything just in case. 
Um, and then from, you know, if I'm feeling like I'm crashing, like what happened on mile 20 was I felt um, heat exhaustion kick in. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to crash if I don't get something in me that's going to help fuel me through the hottest part of the day. Because here in Utah, I was like 90, mid 90s, no shade, super hot. And I was starting to get those heat exhaustion, heat stroke symptoms, or I was getting dizzy, lightheaded, nauseous. And I was like, I, I, I can't, I can't fail at this. So I said that mile 20, I was like, I, I need something. So that's where I just chugged a bunch of watermelon juice, ate some watermelon. I was like, oh my gosh, that felt so good. And then the next hour I was like, man, I feel really good. And so every hour I was like, all right, I'm just going to supplement with something. And I just need enough to get me by for the next hour. Yeah. And I guess that's another part about this is when you're doing things like, like that is like, you're not used to accustomed to like eating some of these things and you're like, okay, I'm going to try it. That's like, okay, what's my body's response? What's the feedback I'm going to get from that? If it's something that maybe I don't agree with. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely test it out first. <laughs> like test yeah. it out in your training. Okay. Like I picked things that I knew my body would handle well, like pop tarts, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, not, not huge amounts. These are just like a few bites, peanut butter sandwiches. Like I knew my body handled that pretty well. Um, you know, M&Ms, peanut butter, M&Ms, gummy bears, things that weren't, and I didn't do too much. So I never had any digestive issues, which is great. Um, which felt awesome throughout the whole race. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty awesome. And talk about an accomplishment to, to boot. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we're going to wrap this up here. I don't want to keep you going too long on here. Um, but you know, if there was anything that you could get out in the universe that you wanted people to know if they were just getting ready to embark on their fitness journey, what would be your number one word of advice? Yeah, for me, it's learn how to operate at a place of self-love versus self-hate. And this will be a game changer for you. If you could learn how to do that now, be fulfilled with where you are now. And what I recommend is do a gratitude list every single day of what you're grateful for three to five things that's going to help rewire your brain to look in the moment and be grateful for what you have now, even though life's not perfect, even though your body's not perfect, even though you're not where you want to be yet, I promise you, you can still find things to be grateful for every single day, no matter how hard your life is. Start doing that every day consistently to help rewire your brain to see the things that are blessings in your life as you continue to work on a better version of yourself. And then you'll be so much more fulfilled if and when you get that perfect body or if and when you get that money or that, that job that you're looking for. Like You'll be fulfilled now instead of waiting until one day when I have this body, one day when I have this money, one day when my life is perfect, then I'll be happy. Because otherwise you look back and you just wasted a whole bunch of your life hating yourself, being at war with yourself and never truly being happy. I love that. That's, that's just a great word of advice right mm -hmm. there. So tell my listeners where they can find you if they want to look you up. Obviously you've got some books, you've got a podcast, social media. Uh, where are some of the best places to find you? Yeah, super simple. Fit number two, fat number two fit is my website. It's my podcast. It's my first book. It's my social media handles. Um, it's super simple. I try to make it as simple as possible for people to follow me. Um, uh, just fit to fat to fit. Awesome. Well, I will put all that information in the show notes as well so that people can find you. And I'm so, so thankful that you decided to join me today. And I appreciate you spending time with us. Yeah. Thanks, Connie, for having me on. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. Well, guys, I'm so excited that Drew came and shared his story with us today. I hope you found value in our conversation. Before we wrap it up here, I just want to let you know that I will have all of Drew's information in the show notes. He can be found on every platform under fit, the number two, fat, number two, fit. 
Easy as that. So go look him up, like him on Instagram. He's got a lot of great content that he can share with everybody. Also, if you want, take a little leap over to my website, ConnieNatingale.com. I have lots of great stuff in my blog, including recipes and all sorts of hacks for your fitness needs. So take a little look at that. And until next time, everybody.